Well, welcome back to Front Room Theology. This is Epitode. <laughs> that was perfect. It's good to be with you. So we're going to head into expanding on human nature through the overarching narrative of the Bible. So Tyler, you want to lead out in our discussion? Yeah. And then, so yeah, we're going to look at that uh, with the specific emphasis on purpose or telos. Because I know we were talking a lot about how I think a Christian view of human nature is going to essentially have a purpose to it. Um, so we're going to, yeah, I'm really trying to see if we can draw that out, most, like specifically out of the Genesis narrative, and then see um, how in two key moments with Jesus and in the Revelation, kind of how it might play out, how it plays out in Jesus, and then how it leads to the fulfillment in Revelation of that purpose so with the purpose being <clears throat> if i remember right so just clarify if i'm not remembering okay right? but with the purpose being that our ethics should be related to our purpose as human beings yes yeah and we're kind of operating under mcintyre's definition of ethics and that ethics is what moves us from human nature as it is to that fulfillment of um human of like how we are to be as humans so yeah, so ethics is moves what's moving us towards that. So it's definitely a, more of a virtue ethic. So, because um, I think we'll find like that's kind of what the biblical narrative seems to be in in the end, if we were to like create an, an ethic out of it. So, um, really quick, I have two quotes here that uh, I'd like to throw out there, and then just kind of see what we pull out from the scripture so if anyone knows of the westminster catechism josh could probably explain it better than me no wow i mean it's a reformed catechism yeah pretty much yeah so anyways like yeah it was like academism from i think the anglican church originally in england did it it was like because like because like the reformation okay really quick history reformation happened um, the in- church in England was like, eh, we don't really want to abandon Catholicism, but we kind of like what the Reformation's doing. So they kind of like created this catechism because they kind of like the Anglican church is kind of like this mix of the two, but it's pretty reformed still. But anyways, there's a shorter version. And at the very beginning of this catechism, it says, uh, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's so like that catechism would claim that's the purpose of human beings. So where man is being human in general, not just men. Um. Okay, 1640s in Westminster, um, the Church of England and the Church of Scotland. Church of Scotland was like Presbyterian church. Okay. So super, super reformed. Yeah. Um, And they're trying to get the two of them to hang out together. Okay. So this is, Westminster is what they came up with. Okay, cool. Yeah, so... So, Got it um, figured out. Unnecessary history lesson aside, <laughs> but context. But for those context. <laughs> for those that like are interested in that, you know, look it up. But anyways, so but right in the beginning of it, yeah, chief end, humans' chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So very clear language, um, unless you know you have a different definition of what glorify means than me, then it's not so clear. So, um. Yeah, so so part of throwing that out there is like let's just see how we can like look at the the biblical narrative and see how they might have articulated this, um, and then the other thing regarding humanity, 
this quote will come from Walter Brueggemann in his giant book, Theology of the Old Testament, Testimony, Dispute, Advocacy. So Theology of the Old Testament, not, you know, not a small undertaking mm-hmm. at all. But for those that don't know, Walter Brueggemann is probably one of the most significant Old Testament scholars of this past century. Um, Certainly of the last yeah, 30 years. You know, whether you like his stuff or not, he's definitely been major in it. But he has a quote regarding like kind of uh, humanity in there. And it, here is, The central concern of Israel regarding humanity is that the human person is a person in relation to Yahweh who lives in an intense mutuality with Yahweh. So this is seeing like kind of like the essential nature of Pearson is to be in relation to Yahweh um, or to God to or, yeah. Um, so we'll kind of see where, how, where that comes from in the narrative. So those of you that have read Genesis, which I know a lot of us have, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, uh, seven days, or is it seven something else, you know, we that's what we like to argue about. Um, we're not going to care about that at all. Like, it could, it could be seven days, it could be seven million years, whatever, don't care. Um, we're focusing more on Yeah, we're, we're focusing on something else, so... Yeah. Um, anyways, so God creates the heavens and the earth and then like the land, the sea, the sky, all this stuff. And then eventually he creates the animals and the plants of the earth. And then he creates human. And what's significant about humans is that he creates that, like God creates humankind in his image and in the likeness of himself. Um, whereas if you go back and look at the plants and the animals, they're created according to each owns likeness. But then it specifically says, in the likeness of God, he created human, male and female, he created them. So that's significant. Um, it kind of said it kind of shows that the 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 writers of the Bible or this Genesis like see humans as distinct from animals and plants, mm-hmm. though similar, probably like similar but distinct, and then. God and then it continues God and God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and ev- over every animal that moves upon the earth so not only were set aside as distinct but there's like an authority over them um, which has been interpreted so many ways <laughs> for both good and bad so I'll leave it there um, so yeah, like I think there's very much a significance that according to the writers of this, that, and the understanding of probably the ancient Israelite, we are set apart from animals and we even have authority over animals in a sense. So yeah, what do you guys think? Does that sound good? Sound right? Sound, is that what you've heard? Yeah, we have some measure of authority. As you say, like that doesn't answer the question of what that means. Nope. But 
Yeah, some measure of authority. Um, and that's related to, as you say, that's related to um, being created in God's image. In some way, there's a relationship between the role of human in the world and the f- kind of the fact of us being created in the image of God. Right. And the image of God, I mean, I just, in some ways, can't get over yeah. the reality of like what that means. Yep. And maybe this is partly my own like hangups and stuff, but I, I um, love the idea of being created in, in God's image and also struggle in some ways with the reality of like, yeah, but I'm bad. Right. Right. Like, which is again, it's a different question than what you're getting into today, but like, um, but I just love the way scripture talks about us. No, no, we're good. Like, wildly, outrageously, magnificently good. Right. In the image of God. Right. And in fact, that's what God, you know, God always says he saw it was good after at the end of each day of what he created. And then at the end of the sixth day, he says it was very good. Yeah. Like, it's not just good, but very good. That includes humans. Um, and in fact, yeah, one of the big philosophical debates of human nature is, are we in, like inherently good or inherently bad? Because here it seems like we're inherently good, but then you keep reading and it's like, but wait, we just do bad stuff. We just did bad. Yeah. Apparently. So, um, but yeah, image. And I'm glad you brought, you mentioned image because, um, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to be made in the image of something or to make something according to its image? Um, so brief background here, um, image in the old Testament, it's actually a pretty significant word. If you are familiar with idols and like idol, like idol statues, um, those are yeah, American idols. Yeah. Right. They're created <laughs> in the image, in the image of God. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that? I did. <laughs> um, but like idol statues in the ancient near East were like things they created that, where they imaged like their local deity um, and it it would contain like you could say the spirit of that deity in fact they would make them and they would actually like open the mouths and then do a, a rich a ceremony or a ritual that would like have the deity then enter into that idol which is now an image of that deity and it's not necessarily like this is how the deity looks this is just what they're using to like represent the physical presence and manifestation of that deity there. So, um, and so it's the, it's the same idea with that as when it says here in Genesis, God created man in, in God's image. It's like we're created to image God here on earth, which to me means, uh, so typically in the history of this debate of image of God, people my first introduction to this idea was that like it means we have certain attributes of god so like some people would say like our ability to reason is what is the image of god in us like reason or think or feel or like all these different things and um and i guess there's some relation to what we talked about like how human people think of human nature as reducing human to one particular thing like so you could think of like human as primarily thinking thing like that's the image of god um so um which i think Yes, we have characteristics that reflect God's characteristics, for sure. But I feel like ultimately, 
what it means to image God is that we we represent who he is mm. and like almost like we are a manifest like a physical manifestation of God's character here on earth yeah um so I, I've come to see the image of God not so much like a set of attributes we hold like though there are attributes it's primarily like the Im- being an image of God gives us our like vocation like mm-hmm. what we are like gives us like here's how we're supposed to be mm-hmm. in the world we're supposed to image God and who he is yeah um I, I think that's important um and I, I probably couldn't articulate all of the ways in which this has been misused, but mm-hmm. like when you talk about attributes, like there's always someone who doesn't fully embody the attri- any one of the attributes that yeah. Like, what about unintelligent human beings? Yeah, those that have like a, a physical brain yeah disorder right. that like they they don't have the as far as we understand they don't have the capability to reason right or think the way we like. Does that make them somehow less human? Right, and humans are always. <laughs> Yeah. Always looking for ways to make yeah. sure that other people are not as human yeah. like as I am. Skin color, for instance. Skin color, <laughs> gender, yeah. uh, in- intellectual ability, um, uh, physical ability. I mean, there's just... Uh, I mean, in personality stuff, like, you could find ways to, to suggest that some personality type is deficient in human right but, but the reality is I, I so i appreciate the, the tack you're taking like every human every human um is equally made in god's image right yeah and then the way i see it is that like you can image god better than another person or worse than another person but it does it doesn't mean that you're not an image yeah, that's how because because I, I see images like also like image. yeah you bear that image yeah. like well or not well um, uh, and like thinking further down like I think that's kind of the issue of human humans in general is we're not image we are choose we've chosen not to image God the way we're like in a way that properly images God like we're mm-hmm. choosing actions that don't image God and so to me in my kind of bigger picture is the primary issue of humanity in the world is we are not being good image bearers mm-hmm. of God. So what I'm thinking about as we're chatting is the expanded language of that we're made in his image, but it also says in the likeness of God. Mm-hmm. And so as you're talking that we are representations of him and his character and the language that we've used of a virtue ethic and we how we are to be, that over time when you were talking, Josh, about brokenness, that over time through the sanctification process we are like our default setting when we're talking about ethics that our default setting becomes shaped more and more to be Mm. as God intended us to be Um, and so when our default is reshaped more and more to be God's way and rooted in his wisdom and in his guidance all this language that we'll be drawing in more that then we are able to represent more and more over time of who he actually is. And so it's the, the broader picture of the whole narrative as we'll continue. But as we've been talking, I've been thinking through, of course, you'll tease me about talking about discipleship all the time, but it really does reshape who we are at our core and it's mm-hmm. tied to our ethics and our framework of being, 
if your whole framework of being is shaped more and more into the likeness of God, right. you're going to more and more reflect who you actually are designed and created to be in his image. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like the, if I hear you right, Jen, it's something like, like the, we've been living outside of our design. Yes. And we just need to realign with the, 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 the image is coming to mind, which I hate. It goes back to consumerism. It's like the factory settings. So like, I hate, I hate, I hate the language, so maybe if there's another image. The potter, the pottery. Yeah, the pottery, okay. So we're the lumps of clay, right? And the potter's reshaping us as we move along in the growth process and Mm -hmm. being connected to and with the potter, you become Mm -hmm. more and more like the potter and able to reflect who he actually is and Mm -hmm. to draw others into that and to live out of actually who we were intended to be. Yeah. And I do see that as related to our purpose as humans because he set that as our identity and our being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the question that comes to mind from talking like this is then, okay, then who is God? Like, what is God like and all that? And mm. that, that becomes the trick because it, it's like there is a standard for like how we ought to be living and that's Mm -hmm. like god is that standard Mm -hmm. um but we're also not god and so we Mm -hmm. don't fulfill that standard but then it's but how do we know when we are um and i think that's where like that's where something like deontology ethics has tried to answer that by creating like here's the standard of things to do like if you do this then you're fulfilling and it's been like interpreted different ways and such but it's kind of like this really clear strict idea of like here's what you do um, and that's where, to me, like the, an image of the circumcision of the heart is what's needed. It's not just a transformation of outward doing. Or right. It's the transfer, like the heart transformation. Yeah. That really does reshape your ethical yeah. framework of being to be more Christ-like. Yeah. And so then your automatic response or nature becomes to do the righteous thing because it's just a part of your default setting. Yeah, exactly. You, you just, that's just, because that's kind of how we're, des- we're, des- we're created to do, like, with the intent to act just naturally out of that way. But we're in a state where we don't act naturally. So it's more than just actions. Like, there's something about us that needs to transform. Right, sure. and so then when we're put in those day-to-day difficult dilemmas, that come up, your response comes from a more Christ-like character. So, for example, um, a close family friend of ours last weekend, their daughter was asked to pretend to be another player in a tournament and wear someone else's jersey, and the parents mm-hmm. chose not to do it. And we just affirmed that that's, that's godly wisdom, mm-hmm. to do the right thing despite the pressure. And that comes from a, a default setting of, well, what is the right Christ-like yeah. character choice in the situation. Yeah. 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 And it just becomes your default and res- natural response is more Christ-like. Yeah. And to, yeah. And to image, yeah, so to, to be properly image God as we are intended, it's, it's having that internal reality, not just, like, doing the right actions, because you can do the right actions, but 
still not image god i would think yeah so yeah um so yeah so that's that's kind of the first major thing in genesis that i think speaks to human nature and um i think that's yeah that's a really significant one is how we image god and understanding what it means to image something Another major thing is kind of has to do with like how we live, how we're like even alive and breathing in the first place. So image is in Genesis one. You go into Genesis two. It's like it's kind of like another retelling of creation, but in a different way. Some people have argued they're two different narratives. Some people think they're actually it's supposed to be like a re, another retelling, but in a different way. But you know, it's just all textual debate. And jargon that you probably don't want to get into. <laughs> Trust me, just don't. No, the good stuff is so good. It's so good. It's so I love it, but you probably won't. <laughs> um, you know, like JD, the JDP, JDEP oh, guy. Yeah, just don't even. Don't even. Don't don't cross that. It's not worth it. Um, focus, focus. Sorry. Focus. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, in this in this retelling, so. Uh, God actually makes humans before the animals in this in this version. Um, no significance for that. That's just there. Um, like I said, what we're talking about. But anyway, so God takes the dirt and uh, the dirt of the land he created, shapes it into human, and then he breathes into it, and that's what animates or like gives life to the person. Um, and one thing I want to know, and again... Thinking of the image idea and the idols, there's a ceremony to like open the idol's yeah. mouth so the spirit enters into the idol and is now like their spirit is present in the idol so that the, the idol is now the actual like manifestation of this deity here on earth. Yeah. So humans are created and God breathes into them. So like literally gives the human CPR, I would say. Um, nice. Breathes <laughs> into it. And... CP. Yeah, and S. usually, yeah. Cardiopulmonary suscitation. Can't be resuscitation. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Not to be confused by child. This is the first. This is the first <laughs> suscitation. Yeah. First suscitation. Let's go back to life-giving breath. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So and you'll read and you'll read in Genesis and our English translation says he breathed his spirit into, mm-hmm. the, into the create the creature here. Um, fun. Note if you don't aren't aware the Hebrew word ruach, it that's the word that word means breath, wind, or spirit. It can be like any of those in with that one word. That is such a fun note. I love that. Why? It's <laughs> so fun. Uber okay. nerds. Yeah. Um. So like he's ruaching his ruach. So good. It's so good. <laughs> it comes up here. Ezekiel thirty-seven. Like ah. Oh. He loves so it. Good. Josh loves it. That's one of my favorite. In Ezekiel like thirty-seven, sucker, so like it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> side another another nerdy side note. This is Josh and I geeking out. 
in was Ezekiel 37, yeah, yeah. Ruach appears eight times, or it appears it's eight times. It's a bunch times, of times in like And it's verses. all translated to a different word. Yeah, every it's time. translated like four or five different ways. Yeah. In like so, seven see, there is value in knowing the language. Yeah, so in Genesis 1, when yeah. God's spirit so, is hovering over the waters, his spirit, some people like, you could say like, oh, his wind, he's a wind blowing over, or he's mm-hmm. breathing over. He spe- yes. Yeah, so. mm-hmm. And his presence. Yeah. Okay, so point is, God is rocking his Ruach into human. So he's breathing his spirit yeah. into human, and that's what gives life. It's literally God's spirit in us that keeps us life. Yeah. Like, without God's presence, we're dead. We don't exist. Yeah. So, like, we... Or, or we look a little too much like those other idols, right? Yeah. Like, we're just... Lifeless. Like, yeah. lifeless pots. Because if you look... Yeah, idols are... They're lifeless. They're not animated in any way. They're just things. Even if they have some deity inside of them, they don't do anything. They're just there. I mean, how badass is Yahweh that when he breathes into an idol, like, it comes to life? Yeah. Like, that's so cool. Oh, yeah. So Maybe later I'll send you a picture of my oldest daughter's <laughs> ugly jug that she had to make for her school. So thankfully we're not <laughs> ugly jugs that <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Breathe life into I mean, at least us. I'm not. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad, y'all. It's bad. That's so when funny. she handed it to me, I didn't know. Like, look what I made at school. I really didn't know what I ought to say. Like, do I say good job? No. And thankfully, she followed up with, no, the assignment was ugly jug. Ugly jug. Yeah. You'll see. Yeah. So our that existence as humans is dependent on, on God's presence. Yeah. His spirit's being present. Because, like, when his spirit leaves, we are no longer living according to this narrative. Because, um, again, we're, we're images. We're idols of God, right? Yeah. Um, we are dependent on his presence to be alive. Um, so I would say that's step um, major factor number two of human nature according to the authors of the biblical narrative or the mm-hmm. biblical narrative. Or, mm-hmm. Dang it, I said I'm not going to use the word biblical narrative of the bible okay we know what you mean yeah um so god's presence is necessary for us to even be alive step three took me some work to kind of understand uh how to articulate this but so then in genesis 2 after he after god has breathed the life into the new creature human um he so Yahweh God, this is Genesis 2, verse 15, and Yahweh God took the man and set him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, From every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of knowledge of good and bad you shall not eat. For in, it, in the day that you eat of it, you, surely, you shall surely die. Well, that's brutal. Brutal. Yeah. Um... So, I struggled with this one a little bit because this is God is making a command and the human is supposed to obey it. And when I hear that, like that's that's one way we can interpret that is like God makes commandments, we obey them. If we don't obey them, we get punished. And that's been a pretty major framework of like theological framework for the American Church or the Protestant, well, the Protestant Church especially. Um, so what's another option? Yeah, <laughs> of understanding. Yeah. So, is there is there an option where we don't obey? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, keep reading. Okay. 
and you see what happens. No, um, yeah, I so I struggle with it where I was like, okay, so there is an element where like we are to obey God, but there's got to be a better way to talk about that, and I think there is. So yeah, so my third move, my third major factor of human nature, according to the narrative of the Bible, is that we are designed to live. To live in, we're designed to live with God, to be together with God. Um, Which so it's not only that His presence makes us alive, but it's not that He just gave us life and was like, "All right, I'm gonna stick around, and you guys go do what you want to do," because I don't know, I'm God, I can do what I want. Um, It it was more that He created us to then live in conjunction with humans not just like not just create them and let them do their own thing that we are created to be in the presence of god and working with god Mm -hmm. um and so and and then part of that is uh cultivating the 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 world he's created for us and other interpretations i've heard of this is like is that we we cultivate it and then we make it flourish we make the goodness Mm. of god is created make god's goodness flourish take this garden that he's created and spread it to the whole earth Mm -hmm. to the whole of creation Mm -hmm. um and also another fun fact the word here cultivate sometimes it's like worked it work it same word that we use in hebrew that gets translated to worship Mm. so worship and like working can be the same word potentially so just food for thought um and then keep it. You love words. Yeah. And then keep it could also be like obeying or like, um, yeah. So so the way I've kind of wanted to talk about this is that like God, God is, God as creator, I would argue has the ultimate wisdom for like what's best for his own creation because he created it. So if we were to Makes follow sense. God's, <laughs> wi- yeah, if we were to follow God's guidance from his wisdom on how we ought to um cultivate and keep the garden and then like spread it to all of creation um we're gonna do it right because god knows what's best however there's this tension here between god's sovereignty and human autonomy because clearly god gave humans autonomy Mm -hmm. because if we had no option but to eat from the tree of life and follow god's wisdom there never would have been a command to do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and bad um, instead, humans do treat, eat from it, and mm-hmm. so humans have decided. So it's it's like this is a, a a story of how humans have decided to not follow God's wisdom, which is the wisdom that will tell us how to do this right or how to do this properly. Instead, we're gonna humans are gonna follow their own path with their follow their own wisdom, which is flawed and incomplete, you mm-hmm. could say, and that's what creates the issue. And then the you shall surely die is interesting. But I think if you think about it, like we can't, if we're not in God's, if, if we're not working together with God, we're slowly distancing ourselves from God. And if we're distancing ourselves from God, we're no longer in his presence. If God is no longer in our presence, what's keeping us alive? If his spirit isn't around to mm-hmm. like, I think, I think that's the picture this narrative is trying to paint from my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, because the humans don't die as soon as they eat from the fruit. So, what's up with that? They still live. So, but then they die later. 
Yeah. Whereas the, the idea is in the garden, in the presence of God, humans would live forever because they have access to the tree of life, which isn't mentioned here, but it's mentioned in the yeah. in the narrative. So that's that's kind of what I'm that's kind of what I'm seeing. We're made to live with God, yeah, um, in like this in like in this unity together, where um, not only we're the ones cultivating the good creation and spreading it but god is the one like guiding us in that Mm -hmm. and then we read in the rest of genesis 1 through 11 humans are left to their own devices and it just goes downhill (laughs) fast yeah and then the pattern repeats itself over and over and over and over yeah so while you were talking tyler okay made me in this tension between god's sovereignty and human autonomy it made me think of two great movie series. Oh, yes. <laughs> the Matrix series, which okay. I just watched The Matrix with our oldest. You're talking just the original Matrix. The original Matrix. Because the sequels are garbage. Garbage. But the first one we watched, and it was great. Okay. And she enjoyed it. Cool. And then Terminator. Okay. Also. I've actually never seen any of the Terminators. Oh, man. Similar. Now you will. Yeah, I guess Some so. similar concepts. But in both of those movies the setup is that humans create uh, machines in order to serve humans then um, they give them AI as in service to humans but AI becomes its own autonomous system Mm. and the machines in turn destroy humans and uh, put them into service of the machine rather than to God rather than to God or like rather they're working outside of their purpose right mm-hmm. so it's super interesting to me given like we create stuff in order to serve us that's not what god does god creates humanity in order to have relationship like a yeah. loving um, meaningful relationship with yeah uh, and to extend his rule but extend his rule in people yeah um, so it's just cool and then when it goes bad in genesis it's not like it's i mean people do try and take over god's role but yeah. they're completely missing the point yeah of, yeah of what god yeah intended and when you read like genesis 3 through 11 like that's just what's happening yeah. and they're like trying to and then god tries to like yeah yeah um so in a sense this is the ancient israelite version of the matrix or terminator <laughs> That's that's the there way well, I'm feeling. Kind I mean, of. with, but a little different. So actually, side note too: um, if you read ancient creation stories from yeah. cultures in of yeah. this time and this place, yep. um, that's what they're that's what their human creation stories are about. It's about gods, basically tired of taking care of themselves, so yeah. they create humans to, to feed serve. them, to yeah. serve them and feed them because they don't yeah. they don't want to do it themselves. Yeah, um, that is not the case here. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. God created us out of love. Yeah. So that's a really, yeah, that's actually really cool. I really like that picture because that's kind of like, there is something to it where God creates humans with this purpose, but then humans just like, because of the autonomy factor, which is, yeah. which to me is a gift. Like God gave us autonomy knowing that like God's like, yeah, they're going to mess it up, but yeah. that's right. I got a plan. Um, and, and our autonomy somehow um, is good. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it has value. Yeah. Not just, so that we can choose rightly, but also like autonomously, like with our freedom, we can um, create stuff 
not that God wouldn't have ever thought of, but like we can do things um, that haven't been done before. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like our freedom and autonomy and creativity. Yeah. As it reflects and participates with, yeah. with God's and it's, creativity. Yeah. And good. it's like for our, just to fulfill our purpose of cultivating and keeping create like the garden like we kind of need that autonomy like god recognizes that like it's like that autonomy is necessary almost um at least yeah according to god's wisdom so i'm thinking more sci-fi references but i think we should yeah yeah let's move on um (laughs) so i it's this this part of like to we're to be together with god following god's guidance um and really quick another word nerdiness um in greek when paul talks about unity one of the the Greek words comes up. It's um, symphonia, like symphone, which is related to our word symphony. And if you've ever been to a symphony, it's just a bunch of people doing different stuff, making different sounds, and somehow it sounds amazing when it's all put together in a in sync together in the unity. And who's the person that's guiding that whole symphony of people? Yeah, it's a musical conductor. And like, so I like this idea of symphony, like that God is the conductor of humans to then each fulfill their own given role that when put together correctly, it creates this beautiful symphony, this beautiful sound or this beautiful creation. But if one person decides to like stick it to the con- the conductor and be like, no, I'm going to do my own thing and start playing my own notes. And then it like, it makes the whole thing. You notice that dips thing and it kind of distracts from the beauty and then if multiple people start doing it, then you just have a giant mess of random, Chaos random and sounds and stuff. Yeah. Noises. So I've come. So I, I, I've come to realize, like, yes, there is a way God wants us to live, but it's not that like if we don't live that, He's gonna punish us by burning us up in fire or whatever. Um, it's more so that He's if we, we He's our guide. He's guiding us to what flourishing is, and if we listen to God, um, we flourish. Mm-hmm. Well, and connected to what you brought out in the narrative about Yahweh's life-giving breath, mm-hmm. that often the way I'm wired is to think through discernment of, because I think of the biblical narrative of God's invitation to walk with me and in my ways, mm-hmm. and the discernment of what is God's way and how do I know if I am walking in sync and in tune with the the rhythm and the symphony. Yeah is is this a life-giving way and is the fruit of it life-giving and that to me is a maybe a marker of or a check question there that I heard was like how do I know that I'm in sync and so jumping ahead from Genesis into the New Testament that that's where Jesus comes in because I think that's the big question is like okay so how do we know if we're in step with God with God's guidance um and then that's where the 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 person of Jesus comes in because Jesus in the New Testament is portrayed as the image of god so he is like the one human like the human the true human that is imaging god he's in god's presence 
because he's also referred to as God. And we've talked about Jesus as God incarnate. Like mm. it's he's he as the image. He is the true manifestation of God here on earth, mm-hmm. and he's in conjunction with God because Jesus's will, according to Jesus, is the Father's will. Like what he is doing is fulfilling the will of the Father, or of God. So. How do we? So I, I think it's a, it's a simple answer with a lot of nuance. But how do we know we're? How do we know if we're imaging God, if we're in God's presence is among us, and how do we know that we're like in sync with God, Jesus? We look to Jesus, mm. and we're and Jesus says, "Follow me," because Jesus is aware of this reality about Himself, and He knows like if we follow Jesus then and and not just like fault like follow in a sense of like we look to what the things that i jesus is identified with we also become identified with Mm -hmm. and when we do that we become our intended we fulfill that purpose of our human nature Mm -hmm. and it's in the person of jesus like jesus is not only like god incarnate and savior of the earth but he is like the the example of what it means to be human, a fulfilled human being. Yeah. Yeah. That's so like, and that's, that would be like my, what was that? Three minute spiel about Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's like, a Sweet. Sim- yeah, it's a simple answer, but you can get really deep into that. Yeah. Yeah. And as you watch Jesus, then as we watch Jesus and become more and more united, I mean, there's so much depth to this, but yeah. but we are becoming more fully expressing the image. Yeah. And we are also then bearing the presence into the world, and we're also living with God um, in really powerful ways. Mm-hmm. Well, and in this concept, too, as we're talking about being built to and designed to be in relationship and connected and together with God, we also relationally with one another have that role. And something that I was just thinking through, and we've talked about before, even earlier today, about the role and purpose that we have in one another's lives is Mm -hmm. to help one another walk in sync with. And when we are out of sync, to realign. Yeah. Help us, one another, realign back into God's way. And that's to have that healthy posture of um, being shaped by our brothers and sisters and being willing to listen and challenged to grow yeah. and nudged and poked in uncomfortable ways to help us remain in sync and in line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One Sorry. of the things that jumped into my head, and you guys can tell me if this is garbage, but when in Genesis 2, when God creates Adam and Eve and puts them together, mm-hmm. it seems like one of the purposes of that is so that we can learn like we, there's these two image bearers, both bearing the presence of God, so we can learn what it's like <laughs> to live with God. Yeah, you know, like here's God's presence, like, and as we are learning to care for one another and like be in relationship in healthy ways, we're learning what it's like. Okay, how do I mm. learn to mm-hmm. love? god well and like have god speak to me and speak to you know like yeah in fact yeah i'm surprised i didn't bring that up but like that's one to me that's one of the like logical um consequences of 
being image bearers is that we're all image bearers is that by living in healthy relationship with others we'll live that's that's like a taste of living in in sync with god because if you know you two are bearing image god's image like i'm experiencing that and i'm doing the same back to you two it's like that's god that's also like god like manifesting his presence amongst people is through people yeah in the sense that like god not only can like directly reveal himself to people but he can reveal himself to people through other people because he is the presence yeah or we are his manifestation of his presence yeah it's just jesus was the yeah one the 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 one human yeah fulfilled that purpose yeah yeah and then what what did that result in death couldn't even keep him dead yeah it is interesting right i mean there's so much to talk obviously with jesus too much to talk about yeah (laughs) more than seven episodes yeah but yeah because yeah the point was to to look at the genesis narrative to see the the ancient hebrew view of human nature through this narrative um and then you know then basically a lot of the old testament is uh the rest of the old testament is humans failed to fulfill that purpose God sets out a plan to try and restore that, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that plan, and Jesus is the one human image of that fulfillment, like the the example of that fulfillment of our human nature, mm-hmm. according to this like this narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of the Bible, John, who might have been on something, who knows, but he He's has on prayer, bro. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he he has like these intense images that he then writes down and at the end of it as we know is the book of revelation which josh is a expert in he is i, I like revelation yeah let's, let's <laughs> <do that. laughs> um, so he can speak more to it if need be but it shows a picture of then like what happens when all of humanity is fulfilling that image yeah. together um yeah. and it talks about like a new heavens and a new earth and god's presence is there and yeah it's and it's a lot of imagery that Again, yeah. people interpreted very many different ways. So, so both good and ways. bad. Yeah, but yeah, the the people of God at the end. I just preached Revelation nineteen this this Sunday, but the people of God at the end of Revelation are bearing God's image. In fact, they look and sound like it. Are His mm-hmm. pre- in the people, but also like God's presence is the light by which we see each other. Yeah, and then of course, like the the final image is a wedding feast. Not only are we together with God, we're like bound together Jesus and the people of God mm-hmm. as intimate um, uh, married couple um, so it's like revelation we get to see all of it fulfilled in Jesus but then also Jesus with us yeah and it's like through Jesus that we can also attain that fulfillment of our purpose and that's and like you get a taste we get like a taste of what that's gonna look like and like the glory and the beauty of it because it talks about like john gives details of the the new jerusalem that and it's just these images that just seem like oh this is so glorious and amazing and yeah and then on top of that no more death no more tears like it's humans living as they're intended to flourish yeah um and live forever in the presence of God and with God and with each other. So, so good. Yeah, so it seems the biblical narrative, the narrative of the Bible is human in relation to God and flourishing like in God's presence. 
I would say that's our purpose. That's the purposeful nature of according to these ancient writers. Yeah. Cool. Sweet. Yeah. So yeah, I think we're gonna do one more episode, kind of give like a big summary, and then maybe look at how we might apply it into our chaotic culture we live in today. Because I don't know what you're about. yeah, our culture is perfect, right? Perfect. <laughs> perfect. So, flourishing. Yeah. It's something. Yep. <laughs> Amen. Send us out. <laughs> Send us out, Jen. <laughs> well, thanks for being with us. It's been good to be with you. Until next time. See ya. Bye.